Well, here we are again at our Bite Off uh, podcast, and but today we have something a little bit different. It's actually just going to be me. Our friend uh, David Fidalgo is not here, but we have instead got a wonderful guest being Erica Myers. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for having me, James. Always good to see you. And you and I have been in contact for a, a number of years, and uh, obviously it's really great to have you on this our podcast today. So, so really, great, uh, really good. First thing, I really just want to ask you about, you know, your background with electric vehicles. What inspires you? What are the things that you've been doing? And, you know, you're certainly somewhat one of the person I've really seen who's really passionate about, uh, about electric vehicles. And I just want to hear a bit more about that. Yeah, my passion for electric vehicles really started back in the early 2010 timeframe when I saw them emerging on the road. And, Getting to ride in them for the first time, I was like, wow, this is great. It's quiet, it's efficient, and it's great for the environment. And knowing that a lot of the pollution we have in our cities comes from transportation, it was nice to see an alternative opportunity for transportation through the use of electricity. So I was really interested and intrigued right from the beginning, but it wasn't until about 2017 that I thought, wow, this actually might work <laughs> because we saw these major announcements from Europe at saying that they were going to ban internal combustion engines. We saw major commitments from manufacturers. And so I had been working on EVs kind of in the background along with lots of other clean energy issues for many years at that point and decided to just go all in. I you know, wanted to become an international EV expert. And so like I poured a lot of my time and energy into doing that, learning everything, meeting with all the influencers and decision makers, understanding where there were challenges in policy and regulation. How do we get the investment necessary? How do we, you know, install EV chargers and make them ubiquitous, essentially just as much as gas stations. So there's so many issues associated with this conversion of our fleet from very fossil fuel dominated industry into something that is completely different. And that actually, for me, is really exciting because it means there's lots of problems to solve. <laughs> I, love pro- I love solving problems. <laughs> and I think that actually leads me to my next question is, what do you think is the biggest challenge with EVs and, and ownership? And I know you've got uh, an EV or two yourself. And, you know, tell us about this, what you've found, and, and even what it's led on to, to what you're doing today. Yeah, I, I bought a car. The first one is the Nissan Leaf about four years ago, and we really loved it. It was a great little commuter car into and out of D.C. We were able to save a lot of money on gas and uh eventually convinced my husband to let us sell the other gas car. And so we have two electric cars now. Uh, The other one is a Tesla Y. And that one, you know, I've driven all over the country and have had zero issues using the supercharger network. It's been an extremely good experience from the customer side. But I, I know that that's not always the case, right? There's a lot of other cars that use the open standard CCS and we have a lot of work to do on in enhancing and improving that charger network. There's been a lot of investment that the federal government has committed to making. But in my new role at uh, the Charging Interface Initiative, 
also known as Charin, we have the opportunity to get all the automakers and all the EV charging infrastructure providers together to really hone in on where are their actual interoperability issues. And, and I know that that's something we really wanted to discuss on our call today. Yeah, 100%. I think what, you know, maybe it's a good idea for us to at least talk a little bit about the problems that maybe you've experienced or I've experienced or others have experienced that, that really set up the need for this interoperability or, how, or how, at least how to tackle it. I mean, in the work that we've done and, and the studies that we've here, we, we really often hear about people that need a new app or that have to download money into some wallet to access the charger and the chargers are broken and they're located in areas that people may not want to go or there's no services there. You know, th- there's this whole list of, of issues that, you know, really impact the, the customer. And, you know, I guess the last thing we, we want to do is, is have people have a, a bad experience with, with their electric vehicle. So talk to us a little bit about those greater problems and, and how, you know, I guess interoperability matters for that. So let me just start at the very core. How our brains think is we evolved as a species to avoid change, right? Change <laughs> equals death. So for a lot of people, we hate change, right? So anything that seems difficult beyond like what we have that, you know, ain't broke, don't fix it kind of a mentality. If we're asking people, hey, like, get into an electric vehicle, but you may not know if it's going to work for you. (laughs) Like you may end up going, you know, on a road trip and you get to a charger and you've like 10% left and you can't charge because it's broken or there's a long line of people. And so then you have all these issues that people have in their head is like, this seems too difficult. And I don't have the ability to risk getting stranded and my family getting impacted or safety issues or something. So it's got to be a really seamless experience. It's got to be as good as, if not better than a gas station experience. We know what that looks like. We know we've, we've all like learned how to pump gas in the moment that we learned to drive. So the changeover to what does this experience look like for an EV charger? It's an unknown and I love taking people with me to refuel cars and or re, uh, recharge cars because then they say, oh, this is pretty easy. I can do this. But you have to have that introduction first before you know whether or not you're able to do it. But I think that the networks have gotten really good about making sure that the payment process is seamless, making sure that you know, that the maintenance on these, these uh, chargers is improving over time so we can have the, you know, lower downtimes, but really ultimately where there's a lot of challenges is we're talking about, you know, dozens and dozens of different electric vehicle manufacturers meets hundreds and hundreds of different EV charging manufacturers. And to actually make sure that the standards that we have all agreed to and approved and defined are actually interpreted correctly and put correctly into the software and hardware that we design and build. And that's where a group like Charin comes in and says, hey, you know, there might be some fringe cases that aren't really working out in the field like we hoped that they would. So let's all get together at a testing event and actually put 
the equipment to, to through the paces, right? And that's something that we're going to be doing actually in three weeks in Portland, Oregon, is an interoperability testing event. And it's very straightforward. You know, you show up, you connect your equipment to other equipment, you, you plug in a bunch of like computer wires and stuff over the equipment, and you actually just test it. And it seems really simple in concept, but, you know, these kinds of opportunities really will make a difference for the end user customer experience, because if we can all collaborate together as an industry, resolve these issues before we deploy new equipment, we can fix most of the problems that people are experiencing in the field. One of the things that, you know, I see is is important about Charin and having been, you know, working with Charin for uh, two or three years now, is everyone's there. It's, it's almost like this industry association that if you're in the industry, you know it, but outside people don't really know. But being inside, it, it's so super important. And what is the process that Charin goes through with all these different members to, you know, come up with this potential standard or come up with an interoperability way of doing things? Yeah, I mean, the, the number of people that are involved in developing standards is mind-boggling. Literally hundreds, if not thousands, of experts that contribute their time. You know, a lot of times it's spare time. Like, it's not part of their job, but they feel really passionately about it. And so they contribute their time to kind of like every single word almost in the standard that they're debating, the meaning, the, you know, what will the person who's trying to interpret the standard actually do with it? So it's, it's a very time consuming process. And at the end of it, you know, you have this beautiful standard, you publish it, the people take it, and then they try their best to, you know, use the information and apply it the way that it's supposed to. And, and then, then we have something that's really going to allow us to scale and that, at the end of the day, is what we have got to have in this this charging environment. Is we can't have hundreds of proprietary systems. If if we had that, it would be mass chaos, and the user would like. I don't know if I can use this station. I don't know if it's got the charger port that fits with my car. Like people, you know, when they go to a fuel pump, they know this fuel pump will fit into my gas tank. <laughs> like, it, there's no question about it. But if you go to a charging station right now, I've talked to lots of people who like, let's say have, you know, they're about to buy a BMW or an Audi or, or something. And they are like, oh, well, I can just use the Tesla superchargers. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, you can't. And they're like, what? <laughs> you don't understand that the BMW and the Audi e-tron don't fit with the Tesla supercharger because it's a proprietary plug. So we have a lot of consumer education, but also as an industry, like just, hey, like from the customer experience, this isn't a good thing. We should all be working together towards one universal connector. That is my dream. And that's the vision of Charin is, is that we, you know, all these engineers, let's just stop doing all of our own different things. Let's all get in a community together, figure it out. And then we can have like a seamless interoperable, open community for charging. And uh, that's what we were able to accomplish with the megawatt charging system, which was just launched uh, earlier this year, EBS in Norway. And we're going to have another, you know, separate North America launch. And that was the situation. All the different 
manufacturers of medium and heavy duty, mostly heavy duty, both on-road and off-road, all got together and said, like, we can't just have tons of these proprietary systems anymore. We, we've got, if we want to have quarter charging for heavy duty vehicles, if we want to have ports that are electrified, we have to have one plug. And the community all agreed. And it was beautiful. And <laughs> it really, it gives me hope, like this is totally possible. So now we have a megawatt level charging cord that can go up to four megawatts. It's a huge amount of power for a class A truck that would, you know, with the current CCS system, it would take hours for them to, re- to recharge a battery pack for a class eight truck. Now you can do it in 30 minutes or less. So it's going to be a complete game. Changer. Absolutely. And, and having been on this MCS, you know, part of the MCS uh, committee for a couple of years, it's, it really is a game changer. It, it's, it's amazing. And, you know, I think to give our, our podcast listeners a, a, a scope of what does for what megawatt means. And, and I believe that's the outer limit. That's the top limit. That's the outer limit. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, that's more than 10 times CCS standard or the most, you know, the, the best charges right now are typically around 350 kilowatts. So, and very few cars really can take advantage of that. And this is 10 times faster than that. So, you know, that scale is, is just amazing. Yeah. It is a game changer for the industry. And we're really excited, like, you know, working with Daimler trucks and Volvo and, and Atlas trucks and, and the list goes on. Tesla, their class A truck, that we can actually in the US and everywhere see quarter charging for semi-charger trailers. Now, the, there's a lot of other logistics, right? Is get delivering the power along a highway could be very challenging. Like, might need to locate these near transmission lines or something. So like, there's other logistics, but at least, you know, we know that it will be a ubiquitous plug and that we will not have to have a situation we have now where you have three different charging connectors in the U.S. for, for light duty. Right. And, and I think that's a huge breakthrough and a huge breakthrough for the trucking industry, really. You know, to, to get off to that start straight away, it just makes things so much easier. I, absolutely. I think it, the other thing, you know, that, that I'm thinking about is, is I, I know the members on the Char and MCS take a lot of time to also think about this is, 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 is also understanding that customer experience because pulling up to a, you can never pull a semi truck up to a, 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 you know, a charger that we would have today. They just don't fit in the parking lot. There's a whole bunch of other things and industry (laughs) things that need to be considered. Any comments on that or, or thoughts about how it connects to the power? Or, or what is the, this, this network of stuff that comes into that? Oh, my gosh. It's, it's even at top level. <laughs> it's so complex. If you think about, you know, the kinds of utilities that are along remote interstate corridors, you know, usually they're electric cooperatives or local municipal utilities. Their total demand might be a couple megawatts. And if you're going to say, hey, we're going to drop this charging station for class eight trucks into your service territory. And oh, by the way, we're going to quadruple your, your load. <laughs> like <laughs> that may be challenging for, for some of these smaller utilities. And so 
I'm excited that there's been a lot of discussion with the U.S. Department of Energy, the National Labs, Department of Transportation, and, you know, the industry groups for electric utilities like the Electric Power Research Institute to actually come up with a plan of how do we do this? How do we have a comprehensive strategy? You know, this might require some changes with FERC. This might require some changes with the local power, bulk power delivery system to make sure we have the power available and can be interconnected in a reasonable timeline. You know, building a new substation could take four years, five years. We don't have that kind of time. If we're, you know, we're pushing against climate change, we have got to, to speed up the delivery of these you know, of this major new electrical equipment in order to meet the the demand. So I'm optimistic. It's going to take a lot of coordination and, um, and I think funding, <laughs> but we now have some, some more funding to do this. And I'm happy to chat about that as well, if, if we have time. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into that okay. right now, actually. It's a good segue. So between the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act and the the new Inflation Reduction Act, we have seen as much as $100 billion committed to EV charging and electric vehicle sales. That is 30 times more money than we ever had of all the funding that's been issued by the U.S. government to date. So this is literally the most exciting time to be in the EV industry in North America. And I just feel so grateful to be in this moment where I can see, you know, right before me, this, this completely different future and being part of that transformation is just, it it makes me shiver. I'm so excited. Also, I know (laughs) there's so much work to do. (laughs) Like, we have got to recruit every smart person we possibly can into the space to make this actually happen. And so I'm constantly out there saying, you know, don't waste your time working for Twitter or Facebook. Come to the EV industry. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we have definitely a huge need for, for like, just fundamental training and, and getting people into this, this community. And it's not dissimilar from where we were 15 years ago in renewable energy, right? It's a very small number of jobs. And now it's a just giant industry. So I see the same transformation happening for EVs right now. It's a very small community. Everybody knows everybody. But in, you know, three, four, five years, it's going to be completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just wanted to key in on something that, that I think you and I share is, is kind of like this passion to, you know, not just make it happen, but, but there's real value to me, at least in, you know, being part of this huge change, because we're really doing something better for everyone else. And, and I think for me, that's a, that's a core thing. Does that resonate with you too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I knew it would. <laughs> <laughs> what about as some of the future challenges that uh, you, you, or not just challenges, but Maybe talk about some of the cool things that maybe that Ch- Charon may or may not be working on in the future. Maybe it's things like uh, V2G, maybe it's other challenges or other, you know, I think the really cool thing I, I like about 
uh, electric vehicles is it's almost like this enabler to do lots of other cool stuff. <laughs> so what have you seen and, and what is uh, what could you see coming? So I am really excited about vehicle grid integration and coming from the utility space as my background, I see these cars as not just stationary storage alternatives, but as mobile stationary storage alternatives, which provide even more value potentially to grid operators. And, you know, for me, I see it as, as a twofer, right? As if we can get a cleaner transportation fuel combined with a cleaner energy resource, and that those two things are supporting each other as we're growing and we're getting more renewable. We know, you know, the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow. So we're, we got to do something with storage. So how do we pay fleets or maybe even individual consumers to provide that backup and that helps reduce the cost of the upfront cost of ownership, the, you know, the other expenses that we know that these fleets are incurring. So how can we at the same time support these clean energy solutions and also accelerate the adoption of the, the vehicles? And I see this happening flawlessly <laughs> in my head, but first we got to like get these people to, talk to each other, right? The the utility industry has been very siloed from the automotive industry for over a hundred years. And how do we get these industries to talk to each other, communicate, partner, test things out, pilot things, get the utilities to come in and, and help define the standards that we're developing. Also at the same time, help the automotive industry, help the utilities understand what what uh, communication protocols are coming down the road that they can integrate into things like germs, you know, distributed energy resource management systems. So there's so much opportunity. Uh, That's something I think Charin really does well is fostering this community of information exchange and knowledge sharing. And that is exciting for me that we, we have this very, you know, we're at the very cusp of these breakthroughs and very transformative changes to both industries at the same time. So how can we help each other out? And so... Sorry, I think the other thing, if we step right back and we have a look at, you know, carbon production, you know, if it's 100% of the carbon we produce, it's something like 30% of that is coming from transportation and, I don't know, roughly, what, 40% coming off other energy sources. So you've got this, in just these two industries, you've got, you know, around two-thirds, if not more, of the total carbon production and being able to watch these have the potential and working together have the potential to go down and down, it, it really it almost gives us a pathway forward in some ways. And I think that's exciting. And your experience in both, talk to me about that. <laughs> so my last job, I worked for the World Resources Institute and had a chance to do a lot of work in developing countries. And so, you know, where we don't have a lot of access to energy issues. And so, you know, how do we even get, you know, an electric vehicle into a community that doesn't even have electricity? Well, how can we think about the EV as an enabler access? So microgrids are becoming increasingly popular, lower cost, easier to deploy. If we had, you know, anchor tenants in these villages where maybe they don't have electricity now, 
could the electric, you know, moped, two-wheeler, three-wheeler be the anchor tenant that makes the economics work suddenly for these communities? Or I love these swappable batteries that we're seeing with some of these two and three-wheelers in Asia. They're super popular, easy to use. Could we take this battery that's being used for the swapping station to also use as, as a resilience tool when the power goes down for sustained periods of time, monsoon season, some you know other issue that might be going on with the local electricity grid. Could we you know help communities through the deployment of the electric vehicle technologies? So there's so much opportunity, you know, it's not just uh, the vehicle to grid aspects of it, but how can the stationary to mobile battery technology transformation actually help people? That to me is the most exciting part is, is like kind of this explosion of new technology and business models and just fundamental innovation that electric vehicles have enabled well i think we are just about to wrap up and i just want to thank megan too for very much helping us along with this so thank you megan but erica there's so much that i see is as really exciting about the the industry that we're in and you know with your role in in charan you know it's so important because we can really start to knit all this stuff together you know pull these loose ends and and, and make them so that that Customers are, you know, they don't kind of have these bad experiences like we keep hearing about on Twitter or, or what social media, but you know, it, it it's just becomes as natural as you know that we've always had of filling out our gas car. Just leave us with a closing thought, uh, Erica, about what what you see as this like, you know, way forward for all this. Closing thought: I would say that change is hard, but it's worth it. Mm, totally, totally. I think I'm going to put that in my new like LinkedIn profile. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something that I live by every day, right? It's it's uh I know that there's big barriers. There's so much doubt. There's the just, you know, the caveman like, we can't we can't do this or our village will starve." <laughs> kind of like fundamental way our brains work, but we have to change. You know, we can't stay in this rut because we have climate change, which we're seeing the impacts of on a daily basis now. And we cannot stay the way that we were. We just can't, or we as a population, as a species will die. So we have got to push the electric pedal (laughs) to the metal and make some major changes. And that starts with things like energy and transportation, which are 50% of the GHG emission reductions. So if we can do those two things at the same time, we will have made a big dent. That is a big dent indeed. Thank you very much, Erica. Thank you very much, Megan. And uh, we very much look look forward to talking to you next time. And thanks to all our listeners on the uh, uh, Bite Off podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and uh, we look forward to the next one. Thanks so much.